Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you're blessed, as I have been blessed, throughout your life, God will lead you to great people and great leaders with whom you just seem to have an instant rapport. One of those people, for me, has been Larry Stockstill. Good morning, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook, and I am so delighted about this interview today with Larry Stockstill. I think you're going to be tremendously blessed. Larry, thank you for joining me on The Leader's Notebook. My pleasure, Dr. Rutland, and and you know how much I love you. I'm excited to be with you. You know, I uh, look back over our lives. We've both been in ministry now about half a century each. We we have a a hundred years of ministry between the two of us. (laughs) That sounds archaic, my brother. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And yet, uh, you have stayed right on the cutting edge. God continues to use you in some wonderful ways. And and it it inspires me to see your energy and vitality and, and continued expanding vision uh, in, in these mature years. Well, they call it curated content. <laughs> and, <laughs> I like you know, that. When you've gone 50 years, it distills down into certain life lessons that I think are really applicable to the new generation, Pastor Mark, and I think that um, the gener- it is our moment, Dr. Lester Sumrall, his favorite verse now, when I'm old and gray-headed, I want to declare your power to the new generation, and mm-hmm. I think that is the passion of my heart and yours. We're at a point now, like they say, you you uh, earn it, and then later on in, in life, you return it. And I think we're in the returning stage, and it, it's very excited to to chat with you today because I have such a heart for pastors and 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 the needs that they're in right now. You know, Larry, as I travel um, across the United States and elsewhere, it just seems to me like this generation—maybe it's always true—but particularly right now, this generation of leaders, they're all looking for a dad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fathering is the need. And of course, we see it in secular society as well. But I was at my fireplace actually in tears this morning. Uh, I don't often do that. Just thinking about a fatherless pastor who doesn't know where to go, doesn't know who to call when he does something great. Uh, who's the person to get affirmation from? Who's the person to get correction from? And when I look at Paul, in Second Thessalonians, he said he he exhorted, he consoled or comforted, and he urged the three parts of fathering. And I've got a bunch of them, Doctor Rutland. I've got, of course, I have five sons of my own. I'm not just pro life; I'm prolific. You know that. Yes. <laughs> I've also got spiritual sons uh, all across the world, and and on Father's Day, I just get um, messages from everywhere because that's the desire and such a responsibility that we have on our shoulders to just be a dad to young men that don't have affirmation. They've never heard that voice like Jesus did in the water of Jordan. 
Yes. And we need to do that. And I, it's become the call and passion of my life. And so anyway, um, I'm, I'm concerned about the uh, a fatherless pastoral generation, and it, it's what's driving me forward. I really understand. And of course, I, I also, when I wanted to stand away from executive leadership myself, then I, I began the National Institute of Christian Leadership. And I know you have Pastors University uh, that is birth of the same motivation. I, I have the I have the same thing on Father's Day. It's a it's a both a humbling thing and a blessing, isn't it? When you you get an, a text message on Father's Day from some guy in in Oklahoma that you can't even clearly remember, right? And it's a a very humbling thing, isn't it? It is, and I think about Timothy, Doctor Rutland, how Paul said, "I have no man who knows." me so as him and he's familiar with my ways and somehow I know when I was in school at NICL which I want to just encourage everybody to go through I, I picked up your ways uh, in those many many hours uh, with you my son and I went together as he was transitioning to my leadership role there at Bethany and uh, we picked up your ways and same with Pastors University, the 50 hours, people, they pick up ways and it guides them for years and years. They hear your voice and the responsibility of that to to just be a, a guiding light to them. Not perfect. Just talk to my wife. You'll quickly come to that conclusion. But just to seeking to be an example and the word Example in the New Testament, you're familiar, is tupas, something that a blow was made with the hand and it made a stamp, be like our seal. And we are making impressions on people that last a lifetime. That man in Oklahoma, somehow he was sitting there and something you said stamped on his heart and he never gets away from it. It's such a huge responsibility, but such a great blessing. I, I'd rather do it, and I, and I love to fish. I love to golf. I love a lot of things, but just being with a room full of pastors or leaders, it's something inside of me. It just is excited from morning to night. And, and now you've designed this new program, Pastors University. You listed as 50 Lessons from 50 Years. What a great title. How how can people find out about it or register for it? I, I want to urge everyone, there's no one that I would say you, you ought, you'd do better learning from than Larry Stocksell. How do they find out about uh, Pastors University? Pastor Mark, we have a, a website, uh, pastorsuniversity.org, and people can find out more and register there. I have about 51, I think, starting next Tuesday down in Sarasota, Florida with Randy Bazette. Mm. And um, so I did usually go down to Florida in the in the uh, spring, and I've been here, Bethany, in the summer. But they can find out pretty much. It's four modules: the, the eagle, the man, the ox, and the lion, which mm. sort of is how to hear the voice of God and the eagle and see vision. And then the man is all of the margin issues of marriage. And, family, finances, anything that will implode you. That's a very big one that I'm stressing on now. And then the ox is the day-to-day work, uh, counseling, marrying, burying, funerals, every, everything that I did on a day-to-day basis. But the last one, the lion, is expansion. 
And that's where I learned so much from NICL is just the ability to relaunch that I learned from you. And, uh, and we get into finances and buildings and everything to do with campuses. And I have Chris, Chris Hodges and Rick Bizet and Randy Bizet, three spiritual sons, do a video in the last one and sort of impart their wisdom as well. But that's where they can find out um, more about it. And um, so anyway, it, it, it's, it's developing really well, and we're excited about it. Wonderful. I recommend it highly. Well, let's go back a little bit. Uh, Larry, let's talk about your early days. Um, you, I know that you're, you're a PK. You came through, and then you, you left after college and went to uh, be a missionary in West Africa. I think that's another thing you and I have in common. Where, where were you in West Africa? I was in uh, Ghana for six months and Nigeria for a year, both West African countries. Wow. And Ghana, as you know, is my home away from home. And uh, we have a, a substantial work there. I tell you, that is, that's wonderful. And then you came back and worked as the associate pastor at your dad's church. And then in 1983, uh, assumed the lead pastor role. Uh, and, and here's what I want to ask you about that. There's so much complicated talk about PKs, you know, they're, they're bad kids, they're whatever. How much of an advantage or disadvantage did you find it stepping into the lead pastor role following your dad? What was that like? I thought it was huge. It happened on a Sunday night with no succession plan. And I do not recommend this at all. But mm. my dad and a fellow missionary felt impressed before the service that Melanie and I were to take the church and leaned over in the service and ask us, oh. would we do that? And I said, no, I'm going back to Africa and I'm not, I, I'm not going to do that. And as I sat there, the spirit of God said to me, this is your destiny. Wow. And I asked Melanie about it. She said, I believe it is our destiny. And so we prayed just briefly there uh, during the service and then told my father and Danny asked, we'll do that. We feel it. And indeed, I didn't have enough sense to come in out of the rain, but I could hear the voice of God. And then we, the people came forward that Sunday night and laid hands on us. And we came as an associate pastor, left as the senior pastor. Wow. I don't recommend that at all, but it worked out. It really wow. did. You know, I was 30. And so that, the great things happen at 30. And I, I, at 32, we had built that 6,000 seat building. So I believe so much in 30 year olds. I know what's in them. I know the potential. Sometimes they just need a little shove out of the nest. And that's what happened to me. Wow. I never knew that in the service without warning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll say this. You better hear from God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I teach about the three ways to hear the voice of God, inward witness, inward voice and dreams and visions. And for me, uh, I, I got uh, an inward witness first. And then I heard, really heard the inward voice, the same one that called me to preach at 16. Out of nowhere, I, I would hear a voice, not often in my life, maybe five times in the 50 years, but it was strategic moments. And I, I think for your listeners, Mark, this is so critical because if a pastor does not know how to get a witness, a green light or a red light inwardly about moving forward or a voice from the Lord that sends you in a completely different direction, perhaps. 
they're going to miss the plan of God. And that's why fasting has been so critical for me, especially in this month of the year. Now they say, why do you fast so much? I say, because I don't know what I'm doing. I have to hear. I have to get a clear word from the Lord to move forward. I have thousands of people looking to me to lead them, and I don't know where to go any more than they do. So I, I do encourage guys to, to fast, to pray, to hear the voice of God, because my whole ministry has been marked by those moments. You know, I love what you just said. One of the major motivations to fast is not because we not because we know what we're doing, but because we don't. I just think that's I think that's great. Well, fasting brings clarity. You know, your spirit's pretty much in the background most of the time. Your your food and your mind are taken over, but when you just say mind and body and you're just gonna take the back seat. After about three days, your spirit kind of wakes up and starts picking up a whole lot of the voice of God that's already been speaking. You just couldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened to me uh, through the years. And I really praise God. Maybe you've got a listener that just doesn't know what to do at this moment. I tell them, well, do what Ezra did. Fast three days. Do what Esther did. Fast three days. Yeah, I've never fasted three days that I did not get a clear direction from the Lord. It's humbling. We don't know what we're doing, but when we get his voice, we do know what we're doing, and we're assured of it. I love it. Well, you you stayed there as the pastor at um, uh, Bethany. Now it's called it, and for about 30 years before you surrendered the lead leadership over that to your wonderful son, Jonathan, whom I love so much. Uh, But that missionary impulse never left you. I found a statistic. I want you to tell me if this is true. That in those 30 years, you gave, your church gave about $65 million to missions, both foreign and domestic. That is correct. I believe it was actually $63 million in uh, 28 years. And that's amazing isn't it? what God's people can give if they're given vision. And I will say this, Mark, we did increase our missions budget every year for 28 years. And it was faith. We had no extra people or income, but we did it in January. About, about this, we're listening to this in February, but the early time of the year, we made a decision. We're moving up. And Oswald Smith, you know, said, if you don't increase your mission buzzer, you're casting a vote for every missionary to come home from the field. Well, that was a little strong for me, but I did see mighty things because I'd go up a hundred thousand a year. And my overall income would go up 400000 every year. So I didn't need a tree to fall on me. I knew it worked. And I, then we got debt-free in 1993 and paid our big building off while giving a million dollars to missions that year. So I've seen the power of the world being on your heart. Uh, I'll just throw this in. You may know I've tabulated how many people are definitely lost around the world and it comes up to about 37 lines of people that circle the equator mm. and I wrote a little book on that and I've got that on my mind all the time so I do believe God for great finances for missions and I'm concerned right now I don't hear a lot of messages about missions or people really focused on missions but that's a big part of Pastors University is getting pastors to realize they've got a purpose higher than just paying the utility bill. They, they've got a worldwide calling on them and they got a checkbook. And for me, if I wasn't going to be on the field, I was going to have a big checkbook that I could buy anything I wanted for people overseas that needed it. 
What a great testimony. There's so many pastors that just struggle with the feeling that that what they what their church gives to missions, gives to some outward cause, comes out of their budget, that if they give, they'll suffer. And, yeah. and it's the exact opposite, isn't it? It is. And I never saw that. In fact, like I said, in 10 years, we we were debt free. And then we jumped to 2 million a year, then 3 million a year, then 4 million a year. Now you're a missionary, Mark. You know what it would feel like to write $250,000 of checks every month wow. to missions. And that's a thrill of my life. In fact, I like to tell our people, I'm a missionary disguised as a pastor. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> because it's burning in my heart and, and it's burning in your heart. I wonder if that would just be a message that, our listeners could hear that if they'll get involved in God's purposes, he'll get involved in their purposes. It just never fails. We teach our people that, but pastors need to, I think, tie the income of their church as a starting point. We did up to 25% a number of years, and they're not going to die. They're going to be fine. They'll thrive. But faith has to rise in them for that. Your your understanding, your faith of, of being generous has also trickled down or invaded your understanding of your staff. I've seen so many pastors who clutch at their staff. They're so afraid that if if this talented or capable person leaves me, they won't be replaced. I'll get hurt. I'll get suffered. And you've you've sent out into the ministry uh capable, talented, anointed people. I, I think about um, Chris Hodges at the Highlands. I think about the the Bizet brothers, the, the people that came through your staff and you not only released them, they, they went on to ministries of huge significance. Hmm. Well, my daddy used to talk to me about even church members. He said, if you want to be free, you've got to let other people be free. Hmm. And I discerned a gift when Chris Hodges preached at our church. He just a youth pastor for a while, then he was an assistant pastor. He would sell 200 tapes, and I sold 100 when I preached. So I had a feeling he had a real gift, a really big gift inside of him. And how could I hold on to that? I had to allow him to reach his destiny, but I had no idea he'd have 50,000 people be the number two church in America. But yet he, uh, he has stayed tied together with me as his pastor for, I'll be there next week preaching. In fact, he just, we, we just love each other dearly. And so what I, I would have, I would have robbed the body of Christ of an apostolic leader's influence if I'd have just held him there with my other 28 pastors. Mm. But thank the Lord, Rick, Randy, Bazette, and many, I think we have had 28 and most of them have gone out and planted good churches and God always raised up a successor to them. Just like he raised me up for my dad or Jonathan for me. He's got successors. And someone said, once God knows how to deploy his troops, if he speaks to a man to go here to that city, who am I to tell him not to? And I think our grasping, as you mentioned, our clutching, our holding on is, is a negative in the kingdom, which I think the kingdom is the secret. If we're building the kingdom, we don't mind anyone leaving. If we're building our empire, our logos, and our, our own building, we always mind anyone leaving. 
When I was the president at uh, Southeastern University, I remember I, I had a, a vice president who was excellent, just a, a, a real asset to my executive team. And one day, a pulpit committee from a large church showed up and they weren't asking about him. They just were asking my advice. Do you know anybody that would be, and they started listing four or five things. It needs to do this and this and this and this. And I mean, a pain shot through me. (laughs) And I, I remember saying to that committee, yes, I do. Well, I hooked him up. He went there, he pastored there. And now, now he's become the president of a university. And uh, oh my goodness. I intend to take credit for any success he has. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, well it, it, it is true, though, that God has wonderful, wonderful servants that he's embedded with you for a season. That's right. And perhaps it's to teach them certain lessons that they have to have just from you. But it's just going to be usually a season. They're going to move on. They're going to do what you taught them to do. You know, Chris used to be in the building, our 6,000-seat building, watching me pray 5 o'clock Sunday mornings. I would go in there and lay hands on every pew and pray. I didn't know he was up behind the curtains watching that for months and years. He went every Sunday over there. I never. He would just hide up there. He wanted to see what... I was doing, and now he does that at his church. He goes early. He lays hands on his chairs. Isn't that interesting? There's certain deposits that they need from us. But I have six children. I don't want them to hang around the home at 35 and fail to launch. My dream is that they launch out and get a wife and have children and grandchildren. That's normalcy. That's, That's health. Multiplication is health. And I think our insecurity is what stops us a lot of times from letting people go. Isn't that true? Insecurity is paralyzing. I I agree. Uh, This really probably is the underpinning of your your newest book, Model Man, uh, which it seems to me that book, as I as I understand what you're saying, is a is how to how to form a legacy, how to. How to mentor the the principles of shaping somebody else's life, uh, and I think it's an excellent book. Hmm. Thank you, Doctor Rutland. And I wrote it in a very short period of time. It just kind of poured out of me, and um, really, it was a matter of weeks. And it has gone all over the world and really helped a lot of leaders uh, with their character, with their consistency. Um, you know, I'm speaking next week to a lot of Church of God pastors, and I'm going to speak on Noah, Daniel, and Job. If you look at Job, it was his character. If you look at Daniel, it was his consistency. If you look at Noah, it was his courage. And if you can instill those three things in a man, so he has character, he has consistency, and he has courage, he'll go, he'll go a long, long time and make a massive impact in his life. And it has to get practical, Dr. Rutler. It has yes. to get down to how they manage their money, their kids, their family, their family nights, their t- vacations, their margin, all of those issues with their marriage. We're seeing so many marriages implode right now. I'm, I have several that, that I'm dealing with right now as an overseer. And we, we've, we've got to work in the nitty gritty and the granular aspects of our lives. And I think Model Man is probably my statement 
about that in practical areas for any man, businessman, or pastor. Well, I recommend the book highly, uh, and I I think anybody in any field would be blessed. Larry, there there are a couple of uh, sort of standard questions I ask every person I interview, but just before I get to them, I want to ask you one that is not standard and absolutely frivolous. I found that you said one of your favorite hobbies is duck hunting, but that in your entire experience of duck hunting, you've only killed one duck. <laughs> I would say it w- it's maybe two at this point. I, I hung that up uh, several years ago, <laughs> Dr. Rutland, and I've become a, a fisherman. I know you're a fisherman. I've seen some pretty big bass that you've caught online. But I love redfish and speckled trout down in the marsh of Louisiana. I have a little boat and my boys go with me and we absolutely love fishing. But I've, I've pretty much hung up the duck hunting <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I just didn't have a lot of skill at it and, and, and didn't really care for it all that much. But I love to. I love to fish and I love to play golf. I'm a fisherman too, and I love it. But I thought to myself, well, you, said you hadn't caught a bass until you're laying it in your lap. <laughs> that is true. You've seen that picture. Thir- thir- I have. 13, 13 pounds, two ounces. That's that's my uh, that, my dream bass right there. I that's love a trophy now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge trophy for life. But I thought thirty years of duck hunting and one duck. This it's time to it's time to stick with fishing, my brother. <laughs> well, and I was playing golf in Ireland with a really good guy, like a pro. And at the end of eighteen holes, he had never given me any tips. I said, "Can you give me any tips?" He looked at me. He said, "Change sports." <laughs> 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 Stick with fishing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I, I, we're about to come to a conclusion here, but I, I want to ask you two. These are questions I love to ask great leaders. One is, everybody talks about the best moment they ever had in ministry. I want to know what is the lowest, the most difficult, most challenging moment you ever had in ministry, and how did you get through it? Dr. Rutland, I have to say it was the failure of a key leader and, uh, you know, an individual that I've known for many years when he had a failure. And, uh, oh, my goodness, when you have media everywhere and uh, just uh, the fog of war, it feels like in in those hours when there's such confusion around that. It's repeated several times since then, but I think that was the moment where I just – really had to call upon the Lord and get his strength inside his wisdom. Uh, I just fasted that entire time I was dealing with it. And he spoke to me scripture and all. Uh, I believe in pastoring with the word. Uh, I, I believe that God takes his word in times of trouble, lowest moments, and gives us a word as a pastor. That's how we pastor the best. Is That's why I've, I've, I've tried to read the Bible through every year, 30 years, just because my daily readings is where the Lord speaks to me. But in that lowest, lowest point of those three or four days, mm. God wow. did give me a word. Wow. I've had a couple of instances of sickness in my kids. My oldest son, Joel, has had kidney failure for a number of years, and he's doing great now at 42, which is a miracle, 26 years on dialysis, but he's leading surge and doing just an amazing job, but I've had some very low points with him, and I've just found that scripture 
is the is the bulwark. It's the strength. And I would just recommend pastors do not do not neglect your Bible because it's where your strength truly is. I love it. I love it. Uh, if there's one thing, if anybody would ask me what what would you say about Larry Stockstill behind his back, I would say. Larry Stockstill is a man of the word. He loves the word and he lives the word. Mm-hmm. Larry, here's, a, here's my last question. And uh, it's how I try to end every interview with great leaders. And that is, if you could speak to every leader at one time, but you could only tell them one thing, what is, what is the greatest thing you've learned about leadership in, you, in your life and leadership? Well, I think I may have said it already on this program that prayer and fasting is my leadership. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't have an MBA. A lot of the things I had to do with 10,000 members and building buildings and all of that, I really didn't know. I had TV station, radio station, Christian school, you know, all of those different entities I had to oversee with no training, really hardly in any of them. But I did know how to pray and fast. Uh, My first 21 days of the year, uh, on Saturdays of every week, the first three days of every month, I was in times of prayer and fasting because out of really sheer desperation to hear the voice of God. So anybody anywhere listening to this can do that. It just takes focus. It takes sacrifice to say, I'm going to seek the Lord. As long as Hezekiah sought the Lord, God prospered him. And I want to just say, Dr. Rutland, that people don't feel qualified. They don't have to be qualified in the world sense if they'll seek the Lord consistently, diligently, like Daniel. He will cause them to ride on the high places of the earth. He will put them with kings. He will put them in positions of leadership that they never dreamed of if they have a private life alone with the Father and with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. So it's not really a leadership principle. I do read a lot of leadership, teach a lot of leadership. But for me personally, it comes back to prayer and fasting. Larry, thank you so much for giving us this time on The Leader's Notebook. I'm so grateful for our friendship, and and I'm so, so um, moved and inspired every time I'm with you. Thank you for being with me. Dr. Rutland, I'm so honored to be on here with you. I can't even describe it. I love you so much. You mean so much to me, and I'm so proud of you. I just pray everyone does what I did and go through the NICL. Just It'll transform their life, and then your missions ministry. I love you so much. Thanks for having me as a guest. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the Leader's Notebook today. I'm glad you've tuned in. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with the one and only Larry Stockstill. For more information about me and the ministry, you can go to drmarkrutland.com or to thenicl.com, thenicl.com. Until we meet again, this has been the Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.